Well, it's a Sunday. Woo! Friday's been and gone. Yeah. <laughs> that phrase, isn't there? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday's here. It's Resurrection Sunday. I'm still playing with this. There we go. Hang on. I think I'm all right. I like to have a look at you sometimes because you're a good lot. Yeah, I'll try. I won't discriminate. I'll have a good look this way as well. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love for us, for me. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you willingly came. You left your throne in heaven and you came and you came as a little baby, innocent, unable to, in one sense, unable to control your own destiny. And yet in an amazing, mysterious way, the creator God of heaven came as as a baby. It's a mystery, Lord. But today we celebrate that you rose again that you rose as the man, the sin offering that satisfied your father and our father. And today we can, we, and we do, we live in that joyous freedom that you have won for us, Jesus. Thank you so much. Father, will you send angels to minister to us in this place this morning as, as the word is brought? Let there be liberty and freedom in the house. In Jesus' name. And Father, I want to ask you that uh, if there's any, any, anything on our hearts or in our, on our eyes that, that prevents us from understanding and living in freedom, that they will just drop away this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good. That feels better. I'm ready now. Bless you for that worship. Phil. That was great. I appreciated that. Brilliant. Who's heard of a chap called Sir Alexander Patterson? I thought that would be the yeah. I hadn't either till very recently. Um, I'm going to read um, just a little bit about this man. Um, I can't remember when he was born. It was in about the 1880s, I think. Um, it's not the name you'd know, but this is, this is just a short summary of what he did. In his freshman year, that's his first year at Oxford University, Patterson encountered Dr. John Stansfeld, who had pioneered the Oxford Medical Mission and a range of boys' work in Bermondsey, one of the poorest and most deprived areas of London at the time. He challenged Patterson and others to, quote, come and live the crucified life with me in Bermondsey. He invited Patterson to visit and gave the mission a fortnight's trial. And Patterson was moved by what he saw. He became the leader of what's called a very small but quite remarkable group at university. It was a group of men whose true greatness was partly to be found in their almost deliberate obscurity. Only the inner circle knew how much they have given to the world at large. They did not talk about friendship and service, 
They serve their fellows without hope of, or desire of reward, except the only reward really worth having, that of knowing they did God's will. They serve their fellows without fear of the consequences. Alec Patterson was to live in Bermondsey for 21 years and was in touch with his work, the work there throughout his life. On leaving Oxford, he took up a minor civil service post. Initially, he lived at the mission, but he soon moved out into a two-room tenement close by in, and I quote, the worst building he could find and in the roughest riverside street. There he found an unequal battle with vermin and became, and I quote here, willy-nilly the advisers of his teeming neighbours and the godfather of many of their children. He also gave up his post in the civil service and became a supernumerary, unpaid teacher in a local elementary school using his savings and a gift from his mother. Not surprisingly, his growing expertise around and the knowledge of the lives of children and young men became known to Herbert Samuel, who was drafting the Children Bill, which became the Children's Act 1908. As a result, Patterson wrote more than 20 amendments to the draft, all of which appeared in the final act. Alex Patterson's concern with the prison system also dated from around this time. One of the club members, who was called Jimmy, who had lived in considerable poverty, killed his young wife in 1906. Patterson understood the circumstances and viewed Jimmy as a friend. He fought on his behalf throughout his trial, stood by him during his long imprisonment and looked after his baby. He also paid for Jimmy and his children to emigrate on his release. This, bearing in mind, this was 1906. It's over 100 years ago. Barclay Barron, one of his contemporaries, comments, it was this love for men, this capacity for walking beside them, linked with a bold imagination and a stubborn will, which he now dedicated to the reform of the criminal system and the penal system. In 1909, Winston Churchill, then Home Secretary, recruited Patterson to discuss with discharged convicts their futures. It was the first experiment in aftercare for convicts. In 1908, he became assistant director of the Borstal Association. He was, 1922, he was appointed commissioner for prisons and director of prison convicts, a position he held until his retirement in 1946. During this period, and I've nearly finished, but I'm getting to the point here. During this period, Patterson used Wakefield Prison, which of course still exists, as far as I know, as a testing ground for his reforms, such as establishing a farm within the prison in which inmates could learn agricultural skills. Prisoners were also allowed to earn small sums working, attend training courses and participate games. He's credited with being one of the founders of the Young Offenders Prison System. Patterson was knighted in 1947, died shortly afterwards in London at the age of 62. It was said of him by a close friend, you simply can't walk the streets of Bermondsey with him and not know that Jesus is divine. And why I said all that, because he has this quote, and I, um, I, I want to use it this morning. He said this, you cannot train a man for freedom under conditions of captivity. 
That's quite a, quite a phrase, isn't it? You cannot train a man or a woman for freedom under conditions of captivity. That was what burned in his heart. Having lived and seen so much depravity and poverty and, 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 and the, without, of course, the welfare system as, it, as we had in 1947, I think it was, he understood that captivity starts in the heart and freedom starts in the heart. And I, want, I just want to bring some, really mainly some scriptures this morning about glorious freedom. <laughs> because we do have that fantastic privilege of living in glorious freedom. I think it was, this was something that really burned in the heart of Alex Patterson. Glorious freedom. And that Jesus was the pathway and the only way to glorious freedom. I'm, I'm going to be reading a lot from the Bible this morning. I, I'm sort of, I want to speak in the Holy Spirit's native language, which is the Bible. So the first one is John chapter 8. You can turn to it if you want. If not, I'm going to read it anyway. Um, I, I, I honestly can't remember whether these are NIV, New International Version, or New King James. I know I'm using the message. The trouble is I've got it all on my iPad, and I'm not opening the Bible this morning, so I can't tell you what version it is. <laughs> okay? But you'll follow it, okay? I'll tell you when it's the message because that is very different. This is Jesus speaking in a discourse. And he says, verse 31, John eight thirty-one, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's an if then, one of these conditional statements. If you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall, we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. I love that, actually. I'd never read that before and understood that. (laughs) We have a permanent place in Father God's family. And this was Jesus saying this, because we have been set free from the law of sin and death. A son, a daughter belongs to it. So if the Son sets you free, you will really be free. (laughs) I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I tell you what I have seen in the Father's presence. Jesus had seen this when he was with Father and he was declaring it. This whole... The truth about setting people really free. He'd seen it and he was now declaring it. What you are doing, you've, seen, you've heard from your father. And they, of course they got knocked by this. Abraham is my father, they answered. If we, you were Adam's, sorry, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works 
of your own father. We are illegitimate children. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. This was a a ding-dong. Jesus said to them, if you were the father... Sorry, I need to slow down. If God were your father, you will love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? In other words, hear me. Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You see, I believe that true discipleship flows out of this this one thing. If you hold to my teaching, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Out of that flows, really, I think, all discipleship. Because that's the starting point of being set free. You know, I'll just sum sum up this, this discourse. Jesus is being very clear in this discourse. First of all, he says, you're not hearing me because you want to carry on being a slave to sin. And therefore, the lies that you're hearing from Satan actually are quite attractive to you. And that's the danger we always face. That sometimes sin could be quite attractive, even though we're enslaved to sin. You know, that's the danger that you become enslaved. And we do need to hear, we do need to keep, keep hearing what God says to us. Those, those tender words, those whispers that he speaks to us. That's why I still, very often, nearly every day, just get up and say, Thank you, Father, I'm your son. Thank you, Holy Spirit, I'm filled up by you today. Because it keeps me in that place of being able to hear in moment by moment, what Holy Spirit's saying to me, what Father, what Jesus is saying to me. It's so important. Because what Jesus then says is, whoever belongs to God hears what he says. It's not, it's not sort of conditional. If we're following Jesus, then we will hear what he has to say to us. It's an A plus B equals C. Okay. <laughs> if we do these things, then God speaks to us and we hear what he says. Okay, let's read another, just a short scripture, Galatians 3, verse 13 to 14. Now, I've, I've sort of moved on under a title here, you're free, don't get bound up or stay bound up. Because you see, if Jesus has set us free, then we're free indeed. There is always, I believe, a danger that we can become bound up again because of our own actions. And that's what happens, this was part of what Paul was writing about to the church in Galatia. They'd actually slip back into their old ways. They'd, they'd become, um, they're sort of be, trying to live as Christians 
And yet they were trying to sort of hold a bit of their old tension of living under the law. Being religious. This is what Paul wrote. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. This is the message. (laughs) I love that. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That was Friday. That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. Wow, yes. Hallelujah. And now because of that, the air is cleared and we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit in us, and with us by believing, just the way Adam received, Abraham received it. Received by faith. Galatians 5, uh, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Yes. Come on, guys. Yes. <laughs> it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's like a double take. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. When you get doubles in scripture, it always means this is like absolute. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a a double emphasis. So, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. Just be on our guard. Because it's, it can be easy. If we choose to, it can be quite easy. It's just my word of caution this morning. I just want to, I, I came across this and I thought this was just great. I hadn't understood this, but Paul was speaking into, um, in the church in Galatia, which was predominantly Greek. At the time, it was Greek by culture. And this is what took place among the Greeks. When a slave was set free, the Greeks drew up a legal document according to which the slave to be purchased or to be freed was purchased by a god, small g, because they had lots of them, as you know polytheistic culture. So they drew up this contract and they were going to be purchased by a god. And what happened was the slave obviously could not provide the money because they had none. They weren't earning a living. So the slave master, who was the owner of the house, paid that money into the temple treasury, the Greek temple treasury, in the presence of the slave And the document which was drawn up contained the words for freedom. As a result, no one could enslave him again as he was now the property of a god. Brian Brian got it. (laughs) 
So when Paul wrote to the Galatians, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, he was actually using the, the legal context that they would fully understand that they now had been purchased by God and that they could not go back into slavery because they had been bought out. Isn't that amazing? So God, Jesus wrote a contract. When you, when you were born again, Jesus wrote a contract that's called for freedom. <laughs> and the law, which was a contract, the old law that Jews were living under, Jesus shredded up, if you like. He, he fulfilled it. I don't want to sort of misrepresent, but I want to, I want to sort of, you know, I want to <clears throat> get it across. He sort of, it sort of just shredded up and became of nothing. It was broken in pieces, if you like. Because Jesus wrote a new contract, which is for freedom. <laughs> wow. That's just amazing. Thank you, Jesus. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Since power to hold you and me has been broken. Once and for all, it has no power over us. And, and that's really why Paul wrote to the Roman church as well, because he, he said this, which we know so well. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because the trouble is, we've, we've, a lot of the time, we've been trained in our old life to still live under that curse, and still live under that contract that says, well, I still have to strive to earn my salvation or I still have to do something because surely this isn't really freedom. <sighs> wow. That's why we have to be transformed in our minds so that the way that Holy Spirit leads us and what he speaks to us can be lived out in our life. See, there's no guilt now. What does, what does Romans, 8, Romans 12 say? I'll come on to it in a moment. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan cannot bring a charge against you anymore because the contract's been shredded and the new one's written for freedom. That doesn't mean to say you may not feel it, but you can tread on his head. And you can tell him, that contract's gone you can't have me on that anymore. <laughs> I've got a new contract. Jesus wrote me a contract that's a legally binding document in heaven and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's just read, uh, read sorry I said Romans 12, it's Romans 8. Let's just read that. Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because through Jesus Christ the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There it is. Praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, Romans 12, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. If you like the Greek pattern, if I... Just going back to the, the sort of phraseology. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will for us. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Wow. This is so good. I'm getting blessed, are you? Good. 
nearly, I've only got another five, five minutes or so. Um, I just want to say one thing, uh, just to sort of keep it in balance, and that is this, and this is in scripture as well. It says, because Paul wrote to the, 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 to the Galatian church and he said this as well, do not let your freedom because, become an excuse for license. In other words, just because we're set free from things that held us, and from, for some people it's religiosity and religion, and for other people it's other things, don't let that become an excuse to become sloppy in your lifestyle. That, that's that's, that's an, just a danger of grace. <laughs> Because grace is just an, just amazing. You see, I, I believe this, that freedom is not a lack of, of constraints or, or, and obstacles. It's not actually that. Because that leads to anarchy. What, what freedom is, is understanding and then living according to the boundaries that God, in his infinite wisdom, has put in place for humankind to live within. Yeah? Because there are boundaries. If you go beyond them, you know, we know what happens. <laughs> Some of us have probably been there. I, I, I just, I've got a phrase here. What is freedom? I, I just want to say this. It's living, singing and dancing in a broad place that God's given to us. Because I couldn't think of anything better to, to say. Living, singing, and dancing in a broad place. The boundaries are there, but they're actually a long way back. (laughs) See, freedom has limits because it has a design and a purpose. And the secret of freedom is to live according to that purpose. Its limits do not diminish our freedom, but they cause it to flourish. They They cause our freedom to flourish. Let's see if I, let's, what does this scripture say? Yeah, I won't read that just for time. It's Galatians 3. Um, well, perhaps I will, just, just because it's not, it's not very long and it does sort of put the scripture to it. It says, this is Paul writing, it's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's, the, that's what it's for. That's how freedom grows. That's what Patterson did. He chose to use his freedom to serve a community and produced incredible fruit. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you'll be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? That's Galatians 3 from the message. I've said this before, we've said this before. What that means is we have to learn to love ourselves first. (laughs) What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like Learning to love yourself as Father God loves you. 
<laughs> That's where we need some scales dropping off our eyes and off our hearts. Because I think we still have a we we can still have a an incorrect view of that. How does Father God really love me? And that's a work in progress. I think that would just be if we can if we can get to that point point where I accept myself the way that Father accepts me, then that is true freedom. That is so liberating that I don't know what we'll do. I think we'll just want to dance all day. We have to learn to give up lesser gods in order to discover that only he can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. That's freedom. We choose not to sin, don't we? We do choose not to sin because we love freedom. And we want to please our lover. Jesus, our lover. We love him more and more, so we want to offend him less and less. That's that actually, I believe, is holiness. I like simple things, and I think that's my, that's my simple definition of holiness. We want to love Jesus more and more and offend him less and less. I don't think... In fact, I'm sure that holiness has very little, if anything, to do with the placement upon me of external circumstances. That's just controlling. That's not freedom. Freedom is internal. It's inside. It's lived out on the inside and it's expressed externally. It's loving your, your friend, your brother, your sister, your, your, your mom and dad, your, your children, whatever it might be, your work colleagues. That's holiness because we want to love Jesus more and more and offend him less and less. Heaven's populated with lovers, not conscripts. And sometimes I think, why did Jesus create you and me with a free will? Because we messed it up big time. Our ancestors and Adam and Eve messed it up big time. They were given free will. And they messed it up. And we mess up. And we have messed up. Hopefully we won't mess up as much as we used to. (laughs) One of the amazing things about God is that he, he created us with free will, knowing that we had the possibility of messing up. Because he knew that he could sort out the mess, whatever would be created by us. And the answer, of course... It's Jesus. So let me let me read Romans chapter eight verses one to seventeen from the message. Because I just love this. So I'm going to indulge myself. And hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, a fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ 
like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. You're liking this as well, aren't you? I'll carry on. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly pleasant God, present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in you he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, He'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you, to a, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, as he does, and surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as, live, as alive as Christ's. I just want to pause. It came to me this morning, and I was praying downstairs. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. That was the phrase. Then he who raised Jesus from the de- dead lives in you. It, you know, this, it, it suddenly came upon me, the same, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. It's, it's one of those things you think, well, yeah. But it, it sort of came back with a freshness this morning. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in me. Wow. Come on, guys. (laughs) I'm nearly done. There we go. Um, Yeah. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent. I don't know what a red cent is. but There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial (laughs) and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Wow. 
Let's give, let's, why don't you just stand up and give Jesus a clap offering, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. Oh, yes. We honour you, Jesus. Wow, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. I've done, really. I just want to say this. You know, if there's anyone here, maybe you're visiting or maybe, maybe you're not, but if there's anyone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have a personal, hasn't had a personal encounter, if you like, or have Jesus living within you, maybe you feel that you're enslaved to sin. Whatever the phrase might be, why don't you just come and see me afterwards? I'd love to speak with you and pray with you. And for the rest of us, there's places to go and things to do. So have a great Easter day, won't you? And uh, just be encouraged.